Hi, and welcome back to I Love You. I know. I'm Amanda. And I'm Kevin. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and Star Wars, but it's mostly about Star Wars. So, Kevin, we finally made it to the movie that we hate to hate. Like, we really wanted to love this one, but we wound up hating it so much, and I hate it every time we watch it a little bit more. And I don't understand how I'm filled with so much hate when I've always kind of identified with the light side of the Force. Yeah, it's because this movie is really bad. Um, if you guys are wondering what movie we're talking about, it's Episode Eight, The Last Jedi. Yeah, and I mean, this is obviously a highly controversial movie. Um, I will say, just for the benefit of the people who liked it, I think that this was a very good Ryan Johnson movie. I think that Ryan Johnson had no business making a Star Wars movie. The people who were running Star Wars had no business letting somebody make a middle of a trilogy movie that wanted nothing to do with the rest of the entire nine movie saga. And that while it is probably technically a very nice film, it has no place in this continuity and it makes me very upset. Right. I, I believe the words you used was that this movie thumbs its nose at everything we already know and love about the Star Wars galaxy. That's right. And it does it very deliberately and very intentionally. And in fact, that's what, you know, um, the the director and producer and, and the author of the script all said that they were trying to do. And, you know, I think that there's certainly a um, there's probably a generational divide around people who really like this movie and really don't. I think people who are a little bit older and sort of the, the Gen X uh, side of the fence who grew up on classic Star Wars really don't like this movie as much as, you know, kind of millennials um, and slightly younger folks who grew up in both a different, you know, kind of cultural environment as well as, you know, really people who for whom the prequels and other content were their first exposure to Star Wars uh, see this movie in a very different light. And it just this movie does not resonate with me. And I think um, that's probably what most of this podcast is going to be about, the things that uh, that we found fault with uh, in this movie, which we found fault with kind of every Star Wars movie, but not in the consistent quantity that we do in this movie. Right. There's nothing about this movie, this plot, the character development. There's nothing in it here that just makes us want to go rushing back for more, especially not in this format. Um, and, and just to clarify, we'll – We'll be talking about a few of the things that are different um, in this movie versus some of the other movies in the Star Wars world. And, you know, I'd like to point out that we don't have a problem with the characters. We don't have a problem with the way that they're cast or how they're acting. Um, if anything, I think we definitely welcome the diversity of characters that we have. We welcome the empowering female roles that we have. But we're just really challenged because this seems like a movie that was not meant to make anyone want to enjoy Star Wars, but to enjoy something different that just happened to have the Star Wars logo slapped on it. Yeah, I think that's right. I will say before we get into it, one other nod. Um, interestingly, this movie is sort of the genesis behind this podcast. Um, you know, and we talked a little bit about where this podcast came from in our first couple episodes. But uh, the idea for this podcast really came about when we were uh, sitting at dinner with my brother and his wife, and um, it was just before uh, the uh, the Rise of Skywalker came out, and uh, they confessed that they had not seen Episode Eight, and we were kind of saying, "Don't waste your time." And my brother said, "I would love for somebody to." I think we actually talked through the bulk of the plot, and he was like, "Boy, I would listen to a podcast about that, so I wouldn't have to watch all the things I didn't want to watch." 
Right, that, that's exactly how it came up. We were comparing aspects of the movie and of Star Wars, you know, at large to current events going on at the time. And for those of you guys wondering, it was right around Thanksgiving 2019. So a lot of things were uh, parallels in, in uh, you know, Star Wars in present day circa November 2019. But let's get into it. So we've got this, we double checked, uh, 152 minutes. So that's an two hours, 22 minute runtime. And there are no acts. There's just 152 minutes of some semblance of a star wars movie yeah there are there are like 20 scenes maybe 30 scenes at least 30 yeah but there but really there aren't acts and and there's not a lot of i mean there are some subplots and it just sort of oscillates between three or four different subplots but yeah there's not a the the story is not structured at all in the same way right and and this just again i think sort of makes me think of the youngest generations that uh you know can watch a YouTube video, play a video game, talk on the phone, and do text messaging, that they just can't keep their attention in one space for more than three, four minutes. And so that's why, you know, we just keep jumping all over the place. And I think that this is why maybe some folks that are younger than us really identify with it because it kind of lines up with their way to enjoy media. Um, But, yeah, so we start out and basically we're told that, um, you know, there's not much left of the resistance and you know they they kind of we just get thrown into this fight scene and it's uh you know it's just not great um poe is disobedient he's got orders from leia and he doesn't follow them um there's these weird dreadnoughts um that they're like oh let's take one of these out like they think that that's gonna make or break the resistance battle and it's just foolish yeah i mean so we start, yeah, we start in, an, in a base evacuation to space battle. I guess presumably this is shortly after the destruction of Starkiller Base. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously the First Order sort of tracked the resistance back to their base because they were about to blow it up when they were, when they uh, destroyed Starkiller Base. So they send some heavy artillery in to, to, you know, to destroy the base, catch them in the middle of the evacuation. And the... The battle is set up as sort of like a classic uh, kind of World War II uh, naval battle, um, but it overdoes the nod back to that in that, you know, like lasers are firing in parabolic arcs like uh, mortar shells. And, um, you know, the whole the whole thing is is that the resistance fleet is running out of fuel. And it's basically the entire movie, like one of the subplots of the entire movie is the resistance are running out of fuel, but their ships are just a little bit faster than the first order. So they're able to stay out of effective weapons range. And the first order just lobs these parabolic laser shots at them for kind of the backdrop of the entire movie. And, you know, and then this battle with the dreadnought, um, you know, the, the resistance uh, have a fleet of bombers of a type we've never seen in Star Wars before that somehow use gravity to drop large quantities of bombs, uh, even though they're in space. And yeah, I was going to ask, how does gravity work? Yeah, I mean, I read somewhere that they said they're not. It's not really gravity. They're using some kind of like launcher ejector mechanism, but it sure looked like gravity to me. Um, and they fly really, really slowly. They uh, order each other to stay close together, but then as one of them gets destroyed, the shrapnel from that one destroys all the others. So it's clearly a kind of ship that you should stage far apart from each other. And it just—it's a very nonsensical fight. Um, and it's—it's it's a very long, silly battle that destroys one large 
uh, first order ship, but really just serves to prove that um, Poe is willing to stupidly sacrifice his his guys in order to accomplish a moderately useful objective, and Leia demotes him uh, from uh commander captain to commander or something after the fight right and so I, I think the only thing that's important that really comes out of this scene besides Poe's demotion is we get introduced to this new character named Rose so Rose and her sister were um you know kind of crucial to getting some of these bombs dropped and Rose's sister winds up dying and it's supposed to be like super heartfelt because they've got like matching sister necklaces or whatever and it, it just it's so forced because it's like wait we didn't know you guys and you you signed up for the resistance you probably knew this was coming that like th these were challenging times but yeah so they desperately need to escape they lose a lot of resistance fighters and resources it's not a win um you know pope thinks it is and, and some of the fighters think it is but like is just kind of watching in the background looking at how much they've lost and calls him out on it and that's why he gets demoted um we also have a scene at the beginning with um supreme leader snoke and hux so hux is a uh, captain commander he's a i think he's a general, general? he's like yeah. he's in charge of the entire first order military right uh, he's that sniveling guy with the red hair very pasty skin and you know just always looks upset at the situation and is constantly seeking more power and so snoke uh you know kind of lets hux have it and it, snoke just doesn't seem very intimidating in that scene either no and it's and it's crazy because snoke you know, he appears as a giant floating hologram head on Hux's bridge. He, um, you know, uses the force from some long distance to slap Hux to the deck. And he's still just not quite as intimidating as the Emperor for some reason. It's, it's yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I think, it, you know, partially the visual is he's not wearing a cloak. I mean, you pointed out that we're not dealing with Sith in this trilogy, really. But we, you know, it's still like, he's just not that intimidating. Yeah, that so hood is menacing. Yeah, so then we cut to yet another scene. So to be honest, we've cut through um, that original fight scene. That does take some time, and it pops over to some other scenes as well and then keeps going back. But we also see our old friend Finn. He's uh, in the medical unit in a coma. He kind of wakes up out of his coma, and he's wandering around leaking medical fluids. Uh, it just it's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. And, and then we cut to Ray and Luke. She's on Oshito, and she's already handed him his lightsaber, kind of where we left off at the last movie. And he doesn't want it. Yeah, I mean, he literally throws it over his shoulder and just walks away from her. And that's about the most I don't know. That is the most frustrating thing in the world. That uh, you know, and this is basically an opening to this idea in this movie that Luke Skywalker has completely given up and withdrawn from the galaxy and withdrawn from the Force, and he doesn't want anything to do with anything. And it feels whiny Luke Skywalker. Well, so I guess it is a little bit on brand. It's a little bit on brand, but at the same time, Luke Skywalker was whiny, but he was always um, an optimist, right? Yeah. Like he whined about the fact that he wasn't allowed to go and do stuff. And so the fact that he's decided that his best thing to do is to do nothing feels so counter to his personality, right? Like what he should be doing is doing random, you know, kind of uh, impulsive, stupid things. 
right? Um, if anything, or, or, you know, sitting in Red Bull headquarters complaining about all the things that have happened to him, but for him to be like, yeah, I'm not going to do anything anymore. just feels so off brand to me. Uh, definitely agree on that. Um, but yeah, so he tosses his lightsaber, Ray goes to pick it up. And then we cut to a scene where we see, uh, Luke's X-wing kind of underwater. He, he flew it to Oshito and he left it behind and, and you know, it, it's why do we see it like we don't need it like at no point does this come up during the rest of the movie they shouldn't have even shown this to us that's right i mean this is literally just bad like bad literary or bad storytelling um I, i've probably brought this up on here before i've known i've talked about this a lot is uh, the concept of chekhov's gun if you see a gun in the first act you know someone's going to get shot by the third act and the fact that we see luke skywalker's uh x-wing um submerged in the in the water and then we never it never gets used again for the rest of the movie is just again it's it's a, another piece of deliberate like um desire by the producers of this movie to thumb their nose at not only star wars tradition but just good storytelling right so whatever the opposite of chekhov's gun is that's what happens then we cut to kylo ren and snoke um, and Snoke actually does have some good monologuing here, um, you know, and, and he does kind of engage in some of the behaviors that Sith masters have engaged into their Sith apprentices by belittling them and reminding them how weak they are and, and how they need them and, and, you know, just making sure that they put their apprentice in their place. And we kind of saw that with the Jedi, too, I guess. Yeah, a little bit. But, you know, this is another one of those scenes where um, where he's talking about how uh, Kylo Ren has, you know, been beaten by Rey in his previous encounter and how he's, you know, not fully committed and his soul is split. And and again, Kylo Ren says, I've given everything to you. I've given everything to the dark side. You know, I killed Han Solo and I didn't hesitate, which, of course, he did hesitate. So. That was a lie. Yeah, um, and he like he was all teary eyed when he did it yeah. and choked up. Yeah, um, totally hesitated. Yeah, and so uh, you know it's it's a whole it's another one of these scenes of of you know kind of him saying that he's upset that he's not evil enough and that doesn't make any sense. Um, and a lot of Snoke's speech is is really just about how he's kind of done with Kylo and and yeah to your point it's probably both to kind of put him in his place and maybe to maybe to provoke him into doing better but it's really just um he just does a lot of talking about how he's a disappointment and you know he is so it's great yeah no um i I will give snoke credit for one good line here he says weakness properly manipulated can be a sharp tool and i think that that is something that basically just sums up everything we ever saw with uh palpatine um you know like when he just kind of looks for opportunities he's always able to manipulate them be it in the you know prequel trilogy, be it in Clone Wars, we always see him taking every opportunity that he's got, um, and you know oftentimes it's by manipulating the weaknesses of those around him. Uh, we don't really see Snoke doing that. He's trying to use um, Kylo Ren's weaknesses to manipulate him, but we ultimately find out that doesn't really work. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's sort of like the the introduction back into what all is going on. And then somewhere in there, the rebel, uh, the the resistance fleet jumps to light light speed. They come out of light speed shortly later, and immediately the uh, first order fleet is kind of on top of them. And it turns out somehow in here, the first order fleet can track them through light speed, which is 
you know, the, there, there are a few technical constants throughout all of Star Wars, but one of them is unless somebody has attached a tracker to your ship like Boba Fett does to the Millennium Falcon, once you go to light speed, you're moving at light speed. You're moving faster than light. You can be basically anywhere and you can stop and change course at any time. And therefore, it is unknowable where you are at that point. You get to light speed, you get away. And now we've decided that that's not a thing anymore. Right. But I thought there was that episode in Rebels where they were trying to destroy some of the technology that was going to allow them to be able to track in um, light speed. Uh, yeah, I think that was a thing. Yeah, but so, I mean, we can assume that, you know, they, they've been working on it over the last 25 years, but it, at the same time, it's just kind of like, you know, this is a newly thrown, thrown in plot device that, like, really came out of nowhere, and it just winds up allowing this slow chase scene to just stay a slow and drawn-out, stupid, boring chase scene. Um, you know, at, at this point... Leia has uh, just demoted Poe, she told him. And he was like, there were a lot of heroes out there. And she's like, no, they're dead heroes, no leaders. And we just kind of, I think that's a running theme for what we're going to have for the rest of the movie is there's like virtually no leadership. And then we have to like learn what leaders look like and how they act. And that's why we've got 152 minutes of film is because they want to show us these leaders being born. And it really could have been done in about, I don't know, 32 minutes. Yeah, 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 thereabouts. Yeah, um, let's not forget Ray was begging Luke to come back. Um, and so this is a very drawn out scene. She like chases him all over this island that he's living on, and it's dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's a whole, I mean, it's kind of like a day in the life of, of Luke Skywalker, hermit, but it's kind of just long, drawn out, and boring. And they, there's no, it's, it's wild because there's no dialogue in, in kind of any of that, right? So it's just, Ray following Luke around and him scowling at her and that's just sort of like that's a good seven or eight minutes of the movie and it's and that's all I'm gonna say about it um meanwhile back at the fleet oh yeah right so once um these guys have dropped out of light speed and the first order found them they launch so they they show up with I think five star destroyers and then um uh, Snoke's flagship, which of course is a super duper giant Star Destroyer, because why not just build more and more giant spaceships? Um, and they launch four Starfighter, four TIE fighters. They launch Kylo Ren's personal TIE fighter and three escorts to take on um, a, a Calamari cruiser. And for some reason, they're just flying around. They're not launching others. Like, no one's launching fighters. And they could have easily destroyed them in the blink of an eye. That's right. With just by launching, like, a thousand TIE fighters and just overwhelm them, right? But instead, they launch four, and then, you know, they, the cruiser manages to get out of range of the Star Destroyers, and they, they tell um, Kylo Ren to come back because they can't cover him. But, but just before he heads back, he's got a direct shot on the bridge, of uh the cruiser and um he recognizes through the force that his mother leia is on the bridge and he hesitates and does not take the shot but two of his buddy fighters do yeah but she feels him pass by not taking the shot yes so that's kind of interesting because later on she winds up confessing that he's gone there's no there's nothing left in him or whatever which is crazy because in episode seven she's like han go back and get our son i i know we can bring him back there's still good in him but then when her son decides not to shoot them 
there's apparently no more good left in him. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. And in fact, in, in spoiler alert, but in episode nine, she goes back to, yeah, we can totally save him, right? So, yeah. <sighs> it's yeah. exhausting. This it movie's exhausting. exhausting. Yes. My so, hatred for it's exhausting. I'm sorry. So we're going to literally going to skip over what happens after the bridge gets destroyed and the, and the Leia Mary Poppins thing. If you care about it and you want to know about it, look it up yourself. I don't want to talk about it. It's so terrible. Yeah. Yeah. What's uh, next? All right. What's next? Okay. So this is actually kind of cute. Um, I, th this is the like one of a couple scenes in the movie that doesn't completely suck. So Luke finds himself on the Millennium Falcon. And he uh, he realizes that Han's dead. You know, uh, Ray came to get him. She tells him that Chewie and the Falcon are there. Let's go. And he's like, no. And then he realizes she didn't say Han was there. And then he realizes his old friend is dead. So he walks onto the Millennium Falcon to pay his respects or whatever it is he's supposed to be doing. And he uh, walks up to, you know, where the captain's chair is. And he sees Han's dice hanging, which we've seen you know, throughout the original trilogy we saw in Solo. Um, and, and so, you know, he grabs the dice as a little memento of his friend. And then uh, R2-D2 kind of wakes up. And R2 and, and Luke have this kind of cute reunion. And R2 just starts sassing him, which is, you know, par for the course. And I really do like that. And then Luke's just like, I'm not going to go back. This is dumb. Give me one good reason. And R2 shows uh, the video that princess leia puts together in a new hope saying obi-wan kenobi you're our only hope and you know it's a it's a dirty trick but it works yeah well it doesn't work i mean it it gets him to it gets him to feel a little bit bad about not going back to help her but it doesn't convince him to go back and help her no but it does convince him at this point to train ray so that's, that's important yeah that's true that's a great point so it you know he's kind of like just teased ray like i'm not gonna train you but i'm not gonna like kick you off the planet either and so ray's been doing her own exercises and all of that and eventually he decides he's gonna show her the force but we don't get to see that just yet because we've already spent four minutes watching one scene we've got to transition to yet another and the scene that kevin doesn't want to talk about it incapacitates leia and so now there are no leaders left too many people have died um who who else am I forgetting? Because well, Admiral Admiral Akbar dies yeah. on the bridge, and yeah. he's kind of the only named character, right? There are yeah. implicitly other people who were on the bridge too that died, um, but Admiral Akbar, who was still alive and kicking uh, up to this point, he dies on the bridge. Right, Poe's been demoted, so no one knows who's in charge, and they decide that it's going to be Vice Admiral Holdo, and this is Laura Dern. So basically, she says that. What's left of them, they're the spark that will light the fire that will fuel the resistance. And so she's decided to take it upon herself as one of Leia's oldest, most dear friends. She's going to be the new leader, but she doesn't tell anyone. She doesn't really respect anyone else around her. She just kind of walks around like she owns a joint. Yeah, I mean, she basically, she gives very tactical orders and says, set this course, do this, do this. But she doesn't explain what the what the broader plan is to anybody. And this, of course, frustrates Poe. And she throws Poe off the bridge. Um, and, you know, people are kind of quietly following her orders. Meanwhile, they're still getting bombarded by, you know, laser fire every two seconds. Um, that's not penetrating their shields, but is, you know, still kind of a problem. And so no one really knows what the plan is. They just know they can't jump to light speed. 
and they also um, are gonna run out of fuel in like 18 hours. And so somewhere in here, um, we probably skipped over, but I guess Finn tries to leave in an escape pod and then that's when he meets Rose. She works down by the escape pods and she stuns him for being a deserter. And then they have a conversation where for some reason the two of them, so she like, she works in, you know, like engine maintenance and he is an ex stormtrooper, but they've both heard of the same experimental track you through hyperspace technology and think they know how it works. And so then they talk to Finn about going to find somebody to sneak them on to um, yeah, this, or they they talk to Poe, right? And and they're like, we we know how this thing works. If we could just sneak onto Snoke's ship, then we could disable the tracker and give you six minutes to get to light speed and get away. And then they say, but we need somebody to break through the shields. And they call Maz Kanata, and she's busy, but she sends them to this master code breaker on um, Canto Bight, which is basically Monaco. It's a it's a casino world. Yeah, but of course we can't actually just watch that scene straight through. We have several other scenes that all have happened. Um, so Luke agrees to train Ray. He is doing just a couple, you know, basic exercises with her. And she, you know, like he messes with her, which I guess is kind of reminiscent of Yoda messing with Luke a little bit. But, you know, for the most part, it's just kind of annoying. And then all of a sudden she's like one with the dark side Luke gets way too scared and he's like I'm not doing this you know I I should have been afraid the first time I saw power like this but I am now and and then you know that's dumb then there's these like weird animals on this planet called porgs and they're kind of like squirrels and kind of like chickens yeah yeah and Chewie was gonna eat one but then like a few living ones came up to him and like gave him the big puppy dog eyes and then he felt bad and then all of a sudden we cut to a scene where porgs have nested throughout the entire Millennium Falcon right which is weird because they've been there for like three days or something and even if it's a week it's a lot of porgs yeah yeah, yeah. Um, apparently the porgs by the way were based on there are some native birds on this island that were super annoying while they were shooting film on the island and they kind of did get everywhere in a very short period of time um, I think they exaggerated a little bit for the movie but the porgs were um, obviously they were animated but they were based on uh, these actual birds that lived on the island that annoyed everybody yeah and I don't know if they were like a weird nerdy reference to like tribbles or something but it was just weird it, it, it didn't need to be in the movie but it, it was it was to sell toys oh good point well okay i can at least respect the that a aspect yeah that's, a, that's all it was yeah no it, it was ridiculous but yeah it was yet another two minute scene that we cut away from the actual plot of the movie which at this point i don't think we can really tell because well, I really don't know what it is. So, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and it's, then it's a it's a slow speed chase through space. Yeah, no, that that's about it. Slow speed chase through space, and uh, you know, then there's this like weird thing where Ray is kind of meditating, and you know, she somehow uses the force to basically Skype with Kylo Ren, and they're like talking to each other, and it's so weird. Yeah, and it like they they cut back and forth to this a few times during the movie where they um. Yeah, they have these sort of forced conversations and they can't see each other's surroundings, but they can see each other or something. And yeah, it's it's confusing, um, but they start talking and she's very mad at him for killing Han Solo and he's trying to turn her to his side and they develop some kind of uh, some kind of relationship that is somewhere in 
I mean, they both had very weird upbringings, so they have a very unconventional personal personal relationship of like a combination of hating each other, but also kind of liking each other. And it's. Ah. Yeah, no. Ah. And he he wants to have someone that he can teach. I think like this is his way of being like Luke Skywalker failed me as a teacher. I'll show him I'll be a better teacher to Ray than he was to me. And it's just, like, it's so much angst. It's hard to, like, know where this is coming from. And it's also hard to know why they're attracted to each other because, I mean, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I, I just don't find him attractive. So I, I don't know what that's supposed to be. Not to mention, she did hit him in the face with the lightsaber. So he's got this, like, kind of gruesome scar on his face, too. Yeah, that's right. And I don't know why she has anything for him because... I mean, he's just all he's done is killed her mentor and a lot of other people and tried to kill her several times. So it seems it seems strange. the other thing just occurred to me is like a lot of his angst and anger seems like it's coming from it doesn't it's hard to understand where that's coming from in that like he was born to famous folks who were in a relatively good position. He is he grew up force sensitive. He was sent to a Jedi Academy there's really no reason for him to be he you know and his family was intact until after he went to the dark side he was living in a time of relative peace in the galaxy there's actually really no like kind of underlying psychosis why he would be angry at everyone yes except it's a plot device and we need to have a terrible villain who's just terrible i guess so and not that he's like terrible like evil and bad he's terrible at being a villain he is that. Yes. Um, so, you know, then we kind of go back to our friends Finn, Rose, and BB-8. And they wind up at this weird casino. And it takes forever. And there's this long chase scene. And they got to find the Master Code Breaker. And there's a whole lot of political commentary about all these super wealthy, uh, bougie people that are gambling. And how the only way that you can have that much money is by selling arms and and blah 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 and she basically like confesses she and her sister had been you know like the poor kids working at the planet and farms by the casino and oh it's exhausting kevin yeah i and and i think that's all we have to really say about the casino planet is to say this it comes and goes in like four or five different doses with several very drawn out scenes um, but the long story short of the casino planet is that they come to find this master code breaker guy. They do not actually they see him, but they don't talk to him. They get thrown in jail. There's a guy in jail with them who is basically a mercenary thief and code breaker. He agrees to, to help them for, for a fee, blah, blah, blah. BB-8 steals a spaceship and helps everybody escape, and they get away in a hyperspace-capable space. Right, and so now their plan is to get to Snoke's ship. Yes. Yeah. So Ray continues her training. We also learn about kind of what went wrong between Luke and Ben Solo, what turned him into Kylo Ren. And we don't entirely know, like, if if Ben Solo is hanging out on Oshito training with Luke and presumably some other potential Jedi. How does he have relationship with Snoke to, you know, get corrupted by Snoke, but yet somehow he does? That's right. Just clarification, the temple's not on Oshito. Because oh. otherwise he would know where it is, right? The, the temple, the Jedi temple that Luke was training his new Jedi, so he had about a dozen students. It's somewhere else. Oh, so that's a different Jedi temple than later on the one that he, like, 
set fire to. I guess Correct. it was a tree, not a temple, but still. Yes, but the the Jedi the training temple is somewhere in like the known galaxy, and Ochito is is you know like a hidden planet of the Jedi, and that's why that's why they needed the map in the previous movie. If they had all been training there, everybody would already know where it was. Gotcha. That yeah. makes sense. Um, but yes, so yeah, somehow while while training at luke's training temple he yeah he had conversations with snoke and got like turned to the dark side which i think is supposed to be a little bit of a nod to like the anakin palpatine thing except like kind of everybody knew that snoke was the bad guy the whole time right yeah it it just doesn't make any sense why would you let ben skywalker hang out with him that seems like a a nonsensical thing to do right and I, i think the weird thing here is that luke realizes that ben solo is possibly going down the wrong side of the force and it he thinks about maybe killing ben in his sleep and then he think changes his mind and then like ben turns into kylo ren and is like i can't believe you're gonna kill me and you know then they have a lightsaber fight and you know basically we assume that kylo ren runs off and goes straight into Snoke's arms. Yeah, I mean, uh, and and this is one thing that I think from a film standpoint, it's not very typical Star Wars, and I think it was an interesting way that they do it, but they actually show the scene of Luke encountering Ben and thinking about killing him and then deciding not to and then Ben fighting him and then Ben slaughtering all of Luke's students. They show it three times in the movie. One, um, Luke explains it to Rey, in terms of um you know ben basically ben turning evil and then kylo ren explains it to ray in terms of uh him defending himself against luke turning on him and then the third time after ray and luke have a little bit of a skirmish she pins him down and he explains it more from the perspective of he failed ben as a teacher and he felt shame about it. And they show the same scene three times, and it's basically just different face acting by uh, Mark Hamill and uh, Adam Driver. And it's actually, again, from like a cinematography, from a, from a cinematic standpoint, it's a very interesting way to present that information. It really doesn't fit in Star Wars. And it's, you know, very nice, but it's annoying. Yeah, uh, again, it's just, it's because we can't see a scene and then move on to the next scene. We have to just keep going back and forth and back and forth with everything. Um, and so Ray winds up after she finally learns the truth. You know, she decides she's going to leave and she's going to go to Kylo Ren. Yeah, um, she has a, she has another one of her Skype sessions where she actually physically touches him. And in that she sees his future and she sees that if she joins, if she goes to him, she believes that he will turn and join her and fight beside her. And this is sort of a nod to Luke having his vision um, of, of Cloud City during his training on Dagobah. And Luke basically tells her, don't do this. It's not going to go the way you think. And she's like, well, fine. Um, then how about you come with me? And she offers him his lightsaber one more time and he turns it down. And so she takes Chewie and the Falcon and leaves. Um You know, I think we skipped over before she leaves the island, Luke's three lessons about the Jedi. And I don't really want to go a lot of detail in them, but the three lessons were what? It was one, the force does not belong to the Jedi. Two, that the Jedi, um, 
were at the at the height of their power they were they allowed the dark side to rise and be defeated that the jedi are arrogant and um and really have no place in the galaxy and i can't for the life of me remember what the third one was i think i was making dinner when you were watching that part yeah, so um, you know th- these things happen we, yeah people gotta eat <laughs> right and it just and and i guess it's not that Im- it's not that impactful and it's basically but it, the long story short on the on luke's three lessons is that they're not they're not helpful and they're really just pessimistic and about how um that he how why he doesn't want the jedi to exist and ray kind of disregards all of it except sort of the first lesson of you know being exposed to the force being a connection between all things and then moves on and leaves the island Right, so then we eventually find Ray, we find Finn Rhodes, our Codebreaker, BB-8, all on the same ship, um, and Kylo Ren is there, Snoke is there, um, and then we have to jump to Poe uh, mutinying, um, and that that's uh, interesting. Yeah, um, what what Poe discovers, because um, he's he's tired of waiting, he storms the bridge a little bit, and he finds out from um, he from a display that they're fueling up their little small transports and they're putting all of the resistance people on the transports and he decides that that's a betrayal that those are unarmed transports and they're all going to get destroyed and uh so he mutinies and relieves uh admiral holdo of her position and he is you know knowing that the rest of his team is in position to take down the tracker he's getting the the cruiser ready to jump to light speed and get away um and um then just as he's about to do that uh leia breaks into the bridge right and and she's like what is going on i i'm gone for 10 minutes and this is what happens it's just she's so disappointed in him she is i mean she stuns him with her old school uh unnecessarily long blaster pistol which is pretty great right Right, um, and, and then we cut away yet again um, to Snoke's throne room, basically, which is kind of a cool-looking room, but also kind of an obviously very fake-looking set. Yeah, I mean, it's he's got these red curtains behind him over, apparently over what are viewports um, that, you know, because later during the fight, the curtains fall and you can see outside, which is, I don't know, it's a, it's a cool-looking throne room. Um, a lot of red, a lot of black and red. Um, and he does a lot more speechifying and he, you know, kind of reads Ray's mind and she, he finds out where Skywalker is and she's very mad at him. She tries to kill him several times unsuccessfully. She grabs Luke's lightsaber using the force. She grabs Kylo's lightsaber using the force. And each time Snoke sort of bats her around like a, like a cat with a ball of yarn. Right, and she just keeps going back for more, and he compliments her spunk um, in a condescending way. And the whole time, Kylo Ren's just kind of kneeling before his master. And you can kind of see the conflict uh, within him as far as, you know, is he supposed to be an obedient little apprentice to Snoke, or is he supposed to be standing up for this woman that he has a weird feeling for? And uh, what winds up happening? So um, he so Snoke finally says um, that Ray has a little bit too much hope in her and she needs to die. And he kneels her down in front of Kylo and and tells Kylo to kill her. And he reads her mind and she thinks that Kylo is going to turn. And he says, "Uh, he can't turn. You can't hide anything from me. And then he narrates just brutally slowly this whole thing about 
him getting ready to strike him strike down his true enemy and just as he says that um kylo turns on the luke skywalker lightsaber which was sitting on snoke's throne and cuts him in half with it which is kind of cool i mean i i would have to say like this entire movie the first time we saw it in the theater i was really angry because it just wasn't going the way i wanted it to go but that was kind of a cool thing yeah it was it was very it was again very drawn out and very dramatic but it was yeah it was a slick move and then that sets off right so he's so snoke of course in his throne room has about a dozen of these you know red armored guards and they do not like that the guy they were guarding got cut in half so then yeah not on their watch no that's you know they're they're supposed to prevent that so then we end up in uh which is a a pretty cool visual and you know a really well choreographed uh lightsaber uh two on 12 um you know uh kylo and ray versus all these guys and they're fighting 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 and and in fact right toward the end of the fight um uh kylo ren ben solo is in a bad way and ray throws him the luke skywalker lightsaber and he uses that to defeat the last enemy and she at this point now thinks that he's going to help her and he thinks she's going to join him and she says you can stop them from destroying the fleet just give the order right now and he's like nah we're going to let that die and we're going to let luke skywalker die and we're going to let everything die and, and you and me we can take over and just run everything and let the past die and and that of course is the thesis of the movie um and it's just not not what i'm there for right so you know they fight and she manages to get away and he's knocked out uh just kind of waiting there for a while unconscious um and so ray meets up with chewy and bb8 there's like a rendezvous coordinate so she's kind of gone for a little bit eventually hux will walk in and find kylo ren and uh Hux is starting to think maybe I could be in charge because, you know, he's kind of weaselly and looking for power. But then Kylo wakes up and he's like, oh, no. And so there's kind of a little bit of a debate as to who's in charge at this point. And Kylo Ren chokes Hux. And, you know, that kind of says it all right there. Yeah, a little force choke uh, sets the the barking order quite effectively. Yeah, then we have to remember our our friends uh, Finn and Rose and their, yeah, Oh, right. Yeah, they just about got the beacon thing sh- or the tracker or whatever shut off and got caught at the last minute. Not a huge surprise. Because another one of the kind of underlying theories of this movie is, you know, in, in most of Star Wars, like super duper crazy plans that have no hope of, of going off right always manage to go off right. And in this one, every super duper crazy plan uh, fails. And so their elaborate plan to disable the tracker gets down to the, like, the two yard line and then falls apart. And so they get captured, and then they're brought into some big shuttle bay, and Captain Phasma, who was somehow not dead, um, even though she was thrown into a garbage chute just before Starkiller Base was destroyed, um, she is there. She orders them to be executed, um, and the, the Codebreaker thief guy uh, basically rats, the, rats out the resistance and is allowed to you know leave with a reward. Um, and then just uh what i guess so basically like he's ratted out the resistance and then all of the uh first order guys start shooting on the skate pods that you know holdo had been putting the remainder of the resistance onto and so they're these unprotected shuttles that are going to an old rebel base they're trying to get to this planet and you know they're just totally defenseless and it's just it's like what 
left of the resistance is quickly getting destroyed. Yeah, and and I guess what Holdo's plan all along was there was this like uncharted rebel base planet that was nearby and that she was going to continue flying past it on the cruiser while these little transports flew down to this planet to escape and she thought maybe no one would notice but then of course they noticed and start blowing up the transports which is weird because the transports are are ahead of the cruiser but the the cruiser is out of gun range but somehow the transports are in gun range in you know ballistic laser physics that doesn't make a lot of sense to me but whatever anyway um holdo decides she has to stay behind to run the cruiser and she's watching all of her transports get destroyed she realizes her plan has failed and so she turns her cruiser around and i guess jumps to hyperspace while pointed at the first order fleet which Again, up until now, you can't do that. You you can't go into hyperspace near a large mass. That's just a rule. That's a, that's how hyperspace works. But yet she was able to do it, which ended up destroying her, of course, and then also um, seriously crippled uh, Snoke's flagship and destroys the other Star Destroyers in what is a visually stunning little piece of animation. Um, and also, uh, you know, the way that they do it, there's silence on on the film for like 12 seconds. And it was funny when when the film first came out, um, people in theaters thought that the audio had broken because you never hear complete silence, no music, no sound effects, no anything for like 10 seconds. Um, and so they ended up having to put up signs uh, after about the first weekend that said, there is a point in this movie where the sound cuts out. This is intentional and not a problem. Don't complain to us when you see it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, there's still plenty of things to complain about, but the sound was not one of them. Um, sure. And also effects are like jokes. If you have to explain it, it's probably not very good. Exactly. Um, at, at some point we forgot, we, we flew back to see, Luke and he is lamenting his failure as a Jedi master teacher and just trying to decide maybe he should destroy the teachings of the Jedi and all of that and who should appear Ghost Yoda this is probably one of the redeeming scenes in this and we blew right past this movie is really hard to talk about in sort of a plot order because things because we jump around so much it doesn't uh so Ghost Yoda shows up and um, Luke is about to torch this tree that was the, the home of the original Jedi texts. And then he hesitates and decides not to do it. And Ghost Yoda kind of points a finger up and a bolt of lightning comes down and sets the tree on fire. And Luke's like, what? Those were the Jedi texts. What are you doing? Yoda's like, did you even read them? And he's like, ah, maybe. And so Yoda gives a, a delightful Yoda speech um, about, you know, good leadership and good teaching and you know, sort of, um, he says, you lost Ben Solo because you forgot what I told you. I told you to pass on what you learned, which includes wisdom, but also failure. And uh, in a really great Yoda line, failure is the best teacher. That's a good, that's a good Yoda line. It is, it is. And I think that that was kind of like the thing that we needed to wake us up from the rest of the movie was we, we were just bouncing from scene to scene to scene we still didn't really know exactly what the plot was it didn't look good for our heroes and so at this point if you're watching the movie you're going is it almost over yet do i have time for a bathroom break it's just you kind of lose the fact that you're watching a star wars movie and then pops in yoda and and you kind of get brought back to what we're supposed to be doing it's still confusing but at least you're reminded that you're at a star wars movie that's right 
And so, yeah, and so that kind of lights a little bit of a fire under Luke, and he decides that he's going to try to do something to help by the end. Um, and so I guess now we're at, you know, Snoke's ship is busted. Uh, Finn and Ray and, or sorry, Finn and Rose and BB-8 grabbed a shuttle. They're heading to the, you know, to the rebel base planet. What few transports are left are heading to the rebel base planet. So they get down there and they get kind of set up in the base. And then um, Kylo says, let's land all of our remaining troops uh, on this base and destroy these guys for good. Right, which for once someone's thinking, you know what, we know where all of the resistance is, we can just blow them all up now, let's just get it done. And so they get to the rebel base and Leia says, use my personal code to send a transmission out to broadcast for help. And so they're hitting the outer rim, they're hitting the whole galaxy looking for people to come to their aid. And uh, just so you guys know, nobody shows up. Nobody shows up. Well, one guy shows up, but nobody shows up. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of a lost cause. And, you know, it it looks like uh, the First Order is going to win. And then all of a sudden, who shows up once again? Luke Skywalker. Right. And so he has a very touching moment with his sister. It's actually kind of sweet. It is. I'm, you know, he kind of walks up and they, they, because, because, you know, they haven't spoken in years you know, the last time she saw him was when, you know, her son kind of destroyed him. And then he's been cut off from the force. So she hasn't even, you know, sensed him through the force in a long time. And so they have a really touching scene. He gives her Han's dice. Um, and uh, and then he kind of, he kisses her forehead. And like a brother, not like not how he kisses <laughs> her in the original trilogy. True. Yes. yes. Nothing weird. And it's actually really poignant because this was, you know, before Carrie Fisher passed away. Um, this was one of the last scenes that they shot together. Um, and, you know, obviously he didn't know quite what that goodbye really meant. So that was a, that was a, a meaningful little little sequence. He uh, gives a wink and a nod to C-3PO. Um, and then he marches out to uh, face off the First Order. Right. And this whole scene that we see that's the final battle is actually pretty stunning. It, it's they're on this like um, sand planet, I guess. It's it's salt. salt. So they've got white salt over like a red ground. So mm-hmm. everywhere that people move and these these little ships that the resistance guys. Oh yeah, the resistance guys. Before he shows up, they do a whole thing and they lose and it's dumb. Whatever. Um, but everywhere that everything moves on this planet, you get this sort of rooster tail of white, and then it leaves red behind it. So it's a very, it's a visually a very like interesting way to go. It looks really, really cool. The battle doesn't make any sense, and it's dumb. Exactly. Oh, but one thing that is meaningful in the battle, only because it's dumb, is that um, Finn. So Finn has kind of gone through this, you know, typical hero journey, right? He started out as a stormtrooper. He abandoned that. He looked for a place in the world. He thought about running. He decides to join the resistance. He really like doubles down on being in the resistance. At a moment of peril in this movie, he thinks about running again. He's going to escape to try to find Rey and save her. And then he comes back in to help the Resistance. And then at the last minute, they've got this laser battering ram thing to blow open the base. And he's got the last speeder left. And he's just going to fly right down the barrel of it and destroy the destroy the thing. And he's going to complete his hero journey and, you know, and like go out the hero that he always wanted to be. And then Rose's ship comes out of nowhere and knocks him off course. And then the battering ram blows the door open and he crawls out of the wreckage and he crawls over Rose. And he's like, why'd you do that? And he's like, 
you wrecked it. And she's like, no, I saved you, you dummy. And I'm like, no, you didn't save him. He was sacrificing himself. Right. So <laughs> she, like, makes this comment that it's not about destroying that which you hate. It's about saving that which you love. So she basically confesses she's in love with Finn, which it just, again, seems very forced. There was certainly no chemistry between them. Um, but it was what was really forced was elevating her importance within the Star Wars universe as a character. And it's fine. You know, it, it's good to introduce new characters, but it wasn't natural. And it, it just it, it, it kind of hurt. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then she passes out and then he drags her across the battlefield, I guess, to get her medical help. I don't, it's like it's nonsense. Like you and it, it doesn't count as saving somebody if they're when they're sacrificing themselves to save everybody else. That's not that's not a save. That's a you, she wrecked it. She. She broke it. Yeah, it goes back to there were a bunch of heroes, but no leaders. That's right. Yeah. And and look, and just just for the record, um, I know that um, the the actress um, who played Rose took a lot of heat online afterwards, not specifically for that scene, but a lot of a lot of hate was directed at her personally. And completely she, unacceptable completely because unacceptable. she's a very talented actress and probably a very nice person. It's just it's not her fault that it was a bad film. That's right. And so this is nothing personal about her and i am not piling on to any of the things that happened to her i'm just saying that that was a really bad writing choice um in a in a really bad story that does not make any sense agreed so final battle we see luke skywalker standing out there and kylo ren is filled with so much anger and rage he says to shoot every gun fire every last blaster at luke skywalker and it it's overkill it is overkill but it's it's the overkill we all wanted, and uh, and it doesn't work. No, no. And, and why doesn't it work? Why doesn't it work? Well, we start noticing that uh, Luke Skywalker can just walk through fire, basically. And Kylo Ren goes down, and he's going to engage him in a lightsaber fight. And it's really drawn out, and they're kind of like, I don't know, looking at each other like the bull and... Um, the matador the matador yeah exactly yeah. and so kylo ren's the bull and he's like scraping his foot you know kind of getting ready to go charge and then you know our matador luke skywalker moves out of the way and we notice that every time kylo ren goes by him he makes this red you know into the, the salt and there are no red footsteps from luke skywalker yeah and so at the at the end of this really long drawn out fight, it turns out that Luke is a force projection and he's not really there. And it should have been obvious from the very beginning because Luke comes out with his blue lightsaber, which Kylo Ren just watched get destroyed in Snoke's throne room. And so he knows it doesn't exist. Um, and and then so many other things. And it's and so, you know, Luke is basically stalling to give the resistance time to escape, which they of course do. Yeah, Ray manages to come. She's very strong with the force somehow and is able to rescue what's left of the resistance and they fly off in the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Um and then, you know, and then for some reason after this, uh Luke just dies. Yeah, like he used whatever last bit of force juice he had to do this astral projection thing so that he could have a battle to kill time so that the resistance could have that spark or whatever. 
and then I guess it was just too too much for him, or he just like I, I don't know. It, it didn't make any sense. It, it was it was unnecessary for him to die in that way. Like it's they said so. Leia and Ray both said they felt him, and it wasn't painful. It was peaceful, and that he just sort of gave himself up to the Force. But it was un it was unnecessary. Like from a story standpoint, I guess there was an understanding that in each of the three. Uh, trilogy movies in this post cools one of the three main characters had to go so han solo had to die in one luke had to die in one leia had to die in one but it was like it was only basically because of that that he had to die. like there was no it, it added nothing to anything for him to die at that point it was not beneficial in any yeah he could have stayed a hermit kind of like how yoda was on dagobah yes. and that yoda eventually passed away because he was you know 900 years old you know luke could have been weakened by using so much force that eventually maybe if Le if uh ray went back to go see him that she could have kind of had that same similar watching him die thing that luke had with yoda but not really the case i, I will say I, I did like that when he kind of fades into the force we see two suns setting so it's kind of like when we first meet luke we we see two suns on Tatooine, and now we we see uh, two suns as he passes away. Yeah, and they play the Luke Skywalker twin suns theme, and and you know it's it's a it's a touching it's sort of a, a an appropriate ending for him, but it's un, it's unnecessary. Um, and then there's a little epilogue where they show you know people telling the story of Luke facing down the First Order, which I guess is some of the point, but. I don't know. It, and yeah. the movie's over. Yeah, it's basically the spark that they were talking about. So, like, people start gossiping across the galaxy. And then we see this little boy that was one of the little boys that were kind of enslaved on that planet with the casino. And he raises his broom up in, you know, triumph like it's a lightsaber. And he's going to be the next bit of the resistance or whatever. And it's just, it's exhausting, you guys. It, it's not satisfying in any way. Yeah. And here's the thing. Here's the way it should have ended, right? I've And I've written about this and I've talked about this and what, and it, and it was, it's so close and it was, and, and this is another one of these sort of, it was like these elements were taken away deliberately to thumb the nose at true Star Wars fans. But what should have happened was after Luke meets with Yoda, he goes over to his X-Wing he raises it from the water using the force in a parallel to what Yoda does for him at Dagobah. He gets in that X-Wing. He flies to Crate, the uh, salt planet, uh, lands in there, basically does the same goodbye sequence, walks out, faces down the First Order. They fire everything they have at him, and he basically uses the force to absorb all of that, just like how Yoda was able to absorb all the Sith force lightning and use maybe even use that force to kind of blow the at the the big walker and you know blow some of the first order army away and then Kylo Ren lands and they get into like a real like a legitimate fight and he keeps that fight going in a very defensive way long enough for the other idiots in the in the cave to realize he's stalling for them and then once he f senses through the force that Rey has everybody on the Millennium Falcon he does the old Obi-Wan like you're you strike me down i'll be more powerful than you can possibly imagine move and let's kylo cut him in half and then and then he becomes a force ghost he joins he becomes one with the force he gets to haunt kylo ren forever 
um, and he gets to have this amazing story and we get to see the Luke Skywalker Jedi Master that we had always hoped to see in his full glory using the force at his full power and it would have cost nothing to the plot it would have cost nothing to the story it would have cost nothing to the arc of Ben Solo it would have cost nothing to the fact that Luke would still be dead in the end it would have cost nothing except it would have given the people who love Star Wars for 30 years what we wanted and we didn't get it we got nothing no and we'll never get it and it will never happen and it's very disappointing right and because we sometimes talk about love and marriage and relationships the relationships in this movie messed up all of them yeah like it it doesn't make sense why ray and kylo have any kind of amorous feelings for each other yet they're kind of forced on us it doesn't make any sense how Rose has fallen in love with Finn. I mean, he's not lovable, let's be honest here. No, he's a bit of a goober through the whole movie. Yeah, through all three movies, really. Yes. Yeah. And then, you know, the relationship that Poe has with Leia is extremely disrespectful, and he's supposed to have been, like, her best pilot and one of her most trusted advisors in Episode Seven to this guy that, like, moused off to her all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, this it's yes, it's rough, and it's again, it's intentionally pushing back on everything that we kind of know and love about Star Wars, and um, and and that's why we don't like it very much. Um, I'm really grateful, and we'll obviously talk in another episode about how the uh, trilogy wraps up. I think JJ did the best he could um, to uh, to get us out of this, um, and. This really should never have happened. I think in retrospect, uh, we should have had one writer-director for the entire trilogy. I think the Marvel Universe uh, did a really great job uh, with continuity. I think in the animated series, David Filoni, I really hope that they put him in charge of all Star Wars from now on. Because he's in charge of the Mandalorian, right? He is. Yeah, yeah. and that's great. Yeah, um, and I think that this was an important lesson in why you don't kind of do these hodgepodge. It feels a lot like, we were talking about this earlier, it feels a lot like Harry Potter where um, the movies, you know, there were a few in the middle that did not have a very consistent look and feel with like the rest the of them. Prisoner of Azkaban was the first one that went completely off the rails, and this feels like that. Yeah, it does. And so I think that I think like there's just, there's certainly something to building a cohesive story um, with cohesive people involved in building that story. Um, and so, you know, it's fine. It was there. It's more Star Wars. More Star Wars is generally good. Um, but this was a, 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 a huge disappointment. I think we would have been fine without this movie. Yeah. And, and in, in, in some ways you could probably go from more or less from episode seven to episode nine and kind of skip over this and not lose a ton. Um, yeah. Just assume that Luke has trained Ray and you're good to go. That's right. Yeah. And then, yeah, and he's not in the picture anymore. And, like, Snoke died somewhere, and it doesn't matter. It's fine. Yeah. You, everyone could just skip listening to our anger on this podcast and skip watching Episode 8 and just go straight into Episode 9 and listen to us next week. But, no, we appreciate you guys listening to us. Um, wow, we, we've been feisty tonight, Kevin. We have, yeah. Um, but, you know, it feels good to finally get this out here. Uh, we've been We've been thinking about, you know, having this conversation with the world for a while, and it feels good to finally lay it down, and, and now we can move on and not have to talk about it ever again. That's not true, because we do have a lot of friends that want to talk about their anger and rage against this movie as well. Oh, neat. So we might bring it back and, and let our friends express their opinions as well. And, you know, if you're one of those folks, you know how to reach out to me or Kevin, and, and we can get this set up. But 
you know, I, I think as we kind of look with hope to the way that the trilogy is going to finalize, um, you know, that's a nice place for us to end here. So, Kevin, I love you. I know. <laughs>